I'm E.J. Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. Today we have with us our frequent guest, Zool Bailey, who was just performing there a live piece in our performance space. Zool is a renowned cellist and artistic director of the Northwest Bachfest, and he's here this morning to talk about this weekend's Bachfest concerts on February 25th and 26th. Welcome, Zool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to start off so kind of mournful, but it actually, I was, I was inspired uh, seconds ago, right before you, you asked me to play, to maybe um, lull us into what Saturday Night's Concert's all kind of about. Uh, and it's about um, expression through music, uh, especially in the, the case of the Quartet for the End of Time, uh, through kind of despair slash hope um, during World War II. And so, as as I said, as I was sitting there waiting, I I thought, of course, the last piece that Itzhak Perlman played here, uh, right before the pandemic, um, down at the Fox Theater, uh, he played Schindler's List by John Williams, who just celebrated his 91st birthday a couple of weeks ago. So that's what that was. Yeah, and the symphony recently did a performance of his, you know, collected works. And Jim and I were having a chat as you launched into that. And Jim said, aha, we're beginning with Schindler's List. Oh, good. Then we started talking about John Williams' work and his versatility. And I said, also, Zool has given me a thematic opening to the first performance because this ties in very well with uh, Messian's Quartet for the End of Time, as well as the Shostakovich, which is being paired with that. Let us talk about the Messian and this work. I know in an earlier conversation, you and I had talked about how important it was for you to have you actually you'd been building to this work Mm -hmm. so you started off with a piece by Gideon Klein a few years ago and that was kind of meant to be a foreshadowing of the Messian Mm -hmm. so if you could talk about the Gideon Klein and how that was preparing Spokane audiences for the ultimate performance of Messian well I've been exploring in the past few years you know how music is produced or art Um, one of the greatest greatest classes I took in school was called uh, music and art and um, what we did in that course was um, look at a particular slice of history um, and see how human beings reacted to it, whether it be war, politics, love, um, death, uh, anything that <clears throat> shakes the the soul. Um, and in that particular case, we were looking at um, Impressionism in the in the class, and we were looking at Debussy's work uh, compared to Monet and the Impressionism and uh, and all the things that were happening in Paris at the time. And, you know, during the, the pandemic, um, a lot of things were inspired. A lot of uh, things were inspired that were rather bleak, as well as very hopeful. Um, it started this uh, train of thought uh, when people always ask me what is what is your favorite piece to play well the, the my favorite piece to play at any given time is uh, what helps me what helps me see and continue to feel hope 
um, or to put into perspective what is happening at any given moment. Hence the reason why I just, as an inspiration, played that piece, not giving it a second thought prior. Um, <clears throat> so in programming this this exploration this week, I kind of wanted to, to uh, delve into um, how people cope in general. Uh, and that is including, I mean, again, it's, it, this is a, a, this is going to sound strange, but you know, every day I, you know, I, I wake up and I try my best with the tools that I have. And some days there are less tools to work with. Um, and I couldn't imagine being, uh, Gideon Klein or Oliver Messian in a, a situation where, um, your perspective is suffocated or, um, the, what, what is happening to you physically in this particular case, uh, uh, concentration camps, uh, the World War II uh, suffering, where you don't know truly uh, if there's going to be a tomorrow or later today, or and how do you how do you wrap your head around that? Uh, because as as we know, with with humans, the human spirit, once hope is gone, um, what is left? Um, so. These pieces, uh, in particular, the the quartet for the end of time is has been on my radar for a long time. Uh, it's um, it, it's a lot, a lot to wrap our heads around as musicians, as as human beings, going through history of what what could have happened, uh, what would have happened, and did happen in someone's mind in World War Two. Uh, Messian basically took the instruments around him that were available to him. In this particular case, there was a piano mis- missing keys. Uh, And just to provide some context mm -hmm. for our listeners who aren't familiar with the origins of this piece, Mm -hmm. this was composed in a concentration camp. That's right. Um, And there was a a cellist available and there was a clarinetist available um, and a a violinist. Um, And uh, they were – the instruments were – they were not in good shape. And so the, the sounds and the, the strings and the notes that are used were the only ones available on the instruments for, for, for Messian to, to do these things, to create these pieces. And, there, and the, in the many movements of this piece, um, he explores chaos, um, kind of uh, non-organization of thought, which is, of course, chaos, um, seeing God or religion or, or whatever that higher purpose is where there might be something very soon that they'll be a part of with death um yeah it, it's it's a it's a great experience um and a very strange one for those who've not been there so we as the performers <clears throat> have to uh translate this for the audience and kind of create a a setting that's just why i kept using the word safe place because i want people to um, I want to give them just enough fodder prior to hearing this that they can engage in why, why it was happening. Not just, oh, these are strange sounds, or but imagine, imagine in, a, in the worst moment or um, an epiphany moment, uh, this being the soundtrack to that. Um, and so that, that, is, that is paired with um, the, the Shostakovich piano trio. Uh, where Shostakovich was also using his resources and his um, genius to speak out and mourn uh, the loss of his friends uh, and and colleagues uh, without 
um, being misinterpreted to have his own life extinguished. And there's a very haunting anecdote that is associated with that, where uh, Shostakovich, when he encountered the musicians who were preparing to play this for the first time, um, you shared an anecdote with me where he took them on a tour of the cemetery yeah. and said, this is necessary. We need to take a tour of the cemetery and we need to reflect on this so that you'll understand how to play my music. Exactly. I mean, as, as <clears throat> when, when I play music for people and talk to them and have the chance to talk to the audience, I, um, I'm kind of here and there whether I should share too much information about <laughs> what they're going to hear because I do believe the great music evokes uh, greatness or out of us anyway. So if people were to hear this piece, the quartet for the end of time, and I were to say nothing and they were to know nothing about it, even the title, um, things would happen inside of them that would be, uh, they would confuse them. Uh, they would be elated and, or get this kind of, um, organic uh, vantage point, um, that, that, uh, Messian's ability with with notes create a soundtrack like john williams um and but uh when you know more you automatically can go into that gear and have empathy which is a, a wonderful way to live life and and put yourself in a desolate situation and then put this as the soundtrack to that and then it becomes a whole different level so shostakovich yes i mean the the whole opening of the trio begins with ghosts in the this the kind of steely icy trees in the cemetery, um, and the cello opens up with these these harmonics and these whistles, whether they be spirits or they be the wind coming through the the, the barren trees. Um, if you can know that Shostakovich created that out of that, you then imagine yourself walking through a cemetery because that's exactly what Shostakovich wanted, um, and then you start to feel. Uh, as he ramps it up out of the cemetery into anger, you start to realize that um, that was the only way that Shostakovich could express himself uh, in a safe, quote, safe way, um, because you know a lot of a lot of the um, the cultural creators during that time period were were scared when under Stalin, because if if they wrote something that showed they were against. Stalin, uh, they would also be erased from the history books and disappear like his colleagues were. Yeah, and so we have these two works that were born in environments of oppression, extreme oppression, extreme repression, and yet beauty manages to come forth. And as you mentioned, hope that you were kind of looking for uh, during the pandemic and so this, these elements of hope emerge in these in these works. Yeah, I'm always looking for um, uh, the the good things out of the bad things. Always, because it's you know we in life, I think the, the, our most our biggest learning time periods are in in strife. Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we were able to um, create an, a rose garden uh, at my home in El Paso because we had time to do it. And I, I, I thought it was very funny that I was told that roses grow the best out of manure <laughs> as fertilizer. And, uh, that was very symbolic right there. It's like, okay, we're in a pandemic and we're, we're creating these gorgeous things out of not so gorgeous things. And, um, that was very symbolic for me and, and also just continuing to have hope. And it was important for you to 
prepare Spokane audiences for this over a long period of time so that they would feel comfortable and they would feel a connection with the Northwest Bachfest performers so that they could experience this very intense work Mm -hmm. within that safe space. But that's just the audience perspective. Now, musically and from a performer's perspective, you wanted this to be a safe space as well. And so you have kind of put together an ensemble with with whom you feel safe. Well, I've repeated this story a million times, but um, I've asked uh, legendary people behind my in my past. Paul Rosenthal was this gentleman. Uh, who his favorite performers and colleagues were in history. And he, without blinking, said his friends, and I've told you this story before, but, um, you know, when you share something deeply um, and you know somebody deeply, uh, it means everything. Uh, As opposed to just talking at something, um, you know that they know where you're coming from or you're experiencing this together holding hands. Um, this the quartet for the end of time. To be honest, I I I, I, have, I am incorporating it, and I say that because I'm still incorporating Bach into my world, and I'm trying daily. But I want to play this piece over the next several years and keep evolving with it to see where um, it takes me um, and my perspective of things. So this is this is just the beginning, but I I needed to start off in a place that I could be okay and free to explore and ask questions. So that would be Kurt Nicken and Maria Estriado and, and, and Chip Phillips. Um, and of course, we, we all know uh, Kurt Nicken very well. He's been here several times, uh, the complete Beethoven string trios, as well as other things. Great friend, great colleague, one of the world's greatest violinists. Um, and um, so uh, it's a pleasure to have them back. And they're here in town, even through this crazy weather. They made it. <laughs> and they'll be rejoining you um, in whole or in part for the following evening's performance. Mm-hmm. And that is the Brahms clarinet trio. Is that the centerpiece of this evening? Uh, yeah, I, I, um, it's a different vibe. That 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 afternoon concert. Very different. Yeah. yeah, and I and I tried to make it so I I tried to make it joyous and <clears throat> kind of um, lighter. Uh, so the the Brahms is definitely going to be a, a it's a, a later work of Brahms, but he incorporates the the gorgeous uh, sound of the clarinet, um, which of course you will hear very differently after the the night before, uh, and then the second half of the show is um, a very rarely played work, interestingly, uh, of um, Schubert, the E flat trio, um, which is a big work like his Trout Quintet and things like that, but. Um, it's to me when I hear Schubert, I think Sunday afternoon, because it just it just feels good, and uh, and I think that uh, again that is the perfect unique bow to put on an extraordinary journey, which will be the Northwest Bach Festival concerts for this weekend. And did you mention the Bach Sonata that I think you're you're squeezing in there as well? Well, I never squeeze Bach in because <laughs> Bach, <clears throat> Bach is why we're here. Hence the reason why we have Northwest Bach as our as our, our brand. Um, you know, I always I always tell people that even if you don't hear Bach or see Bach specifically on a program, uh, the the shadow is there. Uh, Bach is the alpha and the omega. Bach is uh, which is of the beginning and the end. Uh, everything was built on what Bach provided. And so uh, in each series of concerts, I try to um, obviously and also um, subliminally remind us of that. So in this particular case, we will open with a sonata uh, for violin and piano by Bach, uh, and then Brahms, and then um, Schubert. 
And let's look ahead just a little bit because mm-hmm. there's some things, and we'll speak more about these at the time, but I think it's also good to get it on folks' calendars because you'll be back in April That's right. to solo with the Spokane Symphony yes. in Elgar's Cello Concerto, mm-hmm. which is a monumental work. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll also, just immediately following that, you'll have an additional week of Northwest Bach Fest mm-hmm. concerts, and you've got some really, uh, like an all-star lineup coming in. It is. It's, it's, it's going to be really special. It kind of uh, harkens back to our festival days where we have two grinding weeks of different <laughs> kinds of concerts here. <clears throat> and so it all begins with me performing uh, the Elgar Cello Concerto with the Spokane Symphony. Um, and uh, that's an incredibly celebratory work, which uh, celebratory in a, in a, again, very interesting way, kind of like the Messian, kind of like the Shostakovich, and that Elgar wrote this, one of the, it was his last full work. And he was dealing with mortality. He was also dealing with uh, the shadow of World War I. Um, and it became the cello became the storytelling instrument to tell his own story and to weave melodies that he felt defined it, defined him. Um, so there's that, and that's going to be a big rally. I feel uh, at the Fox Theater with the Spokane Symphony, um, and then that day, uh, Awadajan Pratt, the wonderful uh, pianist, arrives, and then and a frequent collaborator of yours. Yeah, I met Awadajan over a ping pong table in 1986. <laughs> And uh, we became fast friends and uh, began collaborating together as performers uh, about a decade later. And uh, and Awadajan, uh, in that time period, uh, skyrocketed to international fame by winning the Naumburg uh, piano competition uh, as playing at the White House four-ish times. Uh, just played on Sesame Street. Awadajan Pratt opened the Boston Symphony this past season with a new work by Jesse Montgomery. The fact that we get to celebrate him and he gets to help celebrate with us at a solo recital uh, right after the symphony uh, at at Barrister, as well as uh, a kind of uh, uh, <laughs> a clash of the titans. And I, 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 I say that because we're, it's so funny when we play, he and I play together because um, it's like ping pong again. Uh, <laughs> and we, I say clash of the titans not being – musically speaking, I'm saying that we are so competitive. Um, and so we'll have a duo recital that same week. And then we have the jazz pianist, Matt Herskowitz, coming back, who will share a show um, with uh, me uh, doing uh, unusual pieces uh, for cello and piano and piano by itself. And then he'll have his own showcases. That's great. And I'm hoping, again, closer to the time we can bring you and several of these collaborators back into the studio and maybe have some performances and I some think interviews. That's a, that's a green light for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Zul, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and coming in. I've been speaking with cellist Zul Bailey about this weekend's Northwest Bachfest concerts. The first program is on Saturday, February 25th, and it features Oliver Messian's Quartet for the End of Time. And the second program is on Sunday, February 26th, and that features Johannes Brahms' clarinet trio. Both concerts are at the Barrister Winery in downtown Spokane, and tickets and more information are available at northwestbachfest.com, Northwest being abbreviated NW, so that's nwbachfest.com.